We are going to be in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 6 through 23. That is our passage for today. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those. Well, before we read our passage, I kind of wanted to share something with y'all. So I read this book recently called Good and Angry. It's by this uh, author named David Pollison. It's a fantastic book. I suggest everyone read it. It was recommended by Pastor Ricky, and um, it's kind of a funny story, I guess. When, when, he, when I heard that he had read it, um, and he was like, man, this is really good. It helped me out a lot. Part of me was kind of like, yeah, but you're an, you're an introvert, you know, you kind of internalize things, and, and you know, that's for you. I, I'm an extrovert. I, I just say what's on my mind, and I let people know what I think. I shoot from the hip, you know, so my problem is more so reining in more so than, you know, pressure bursting these pipes, and so eventually it came to the point where I was like, you know, I'm going to read it, and I need to, and uh, yeah, I was, I was wrong. It's, it's not just uh, introverts who ex- experience um, you know, lots of anger. And uh, so after reading it, you know, I know he had said, you know, he, he, had, he struggles with anger. I've realized that it's something I struggle with as well. And, and uh, I would venture to guess, well, actually, I know with certainty, all of us uh, struggle with anger. And when I say anger, I'm not talking about the good stuff, right? Because God is angry with the sinner every day. And that, that's, a, that's a good thing, right? To, to be angry against injustices towards God and, and his people. But we're talking about when that anger is not focused on God's glory. And so uh, reading that book kind of was, was helpful for me. It allowed me and caused me to come to repentance in a couple different areas, and I'm still kind of uh, working through those things today with my wife, kids, and, and all of that. But um, I say that because our passage today is a, is a good uh, example in Scripture of when anger is, is out of control, uh, when, when anger gets the best of you and kind of leads uh, the the thought process and the actions, and so we're going to see this with with uh, Sam. Oh, excuse me, with uh, Saul today. We're going to see how his anger gets the best of him. He he explodes and acts in uh, unrighteous, ungodly ways, and how that impacted God's people. So, with that in mind, let's let us go ahead and read our passage. Like I said, it is First uh, Samuel twenty two, and we're going to read from verses six through the end of the chapter, which is verse twenty three. This is the word of God. It says this. Now Saul heard that David was, uh, yeah, Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand and all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, hear now people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give you, give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul, I saw the son of Jesse come to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech, the priest, and the the son of Ahitub, 
and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and the sword, and have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me, to lie in wait as at this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king, And who among all your servants is so faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No, let let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all of this, much or little. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he had fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their, their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doag, you turn and strike the priest. And Doag the Edomite turned the page, and struck down the priest, and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priest, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. But one of these, the, uh, one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on, the day, on that day when Doag the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. That is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. Let us pray. Dear Holy Father, we come to you, Lord, and we pray and ask for your blessing, for your mercy upon this time, that we come to understand that this is your word for your people And you have designated this time, this day, um, for us to gather, to preach of your good news, to see the truths that are in this passage, and for these things to bring about conviction, to stir our hearts to love and good works, and for us to just be transformed uh, and renewed in mind so that we can discern the things that are good and holy and acceptable to you. This is my prayer, and we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So that is our passage. kind of kind of dark, uh, the, the things that are going on here, and we're, and we're going to talk about that. But we're going to break this into three different little sections. The first is going to be uh, the first five verses, 6 through 10. Then we're going to look at verses 11 through 19, and then finish our time in 20 through 23. And so what we're going to see in those verses is uh, Saul's outrage, then the reaction that he has to confronting these supposed um, rebellious people, and then God's comfort that's offered at the end of that. So we'll kind of walk through all of that in these verses. So first off, we're going to look at verses 6 through 10. And and what we see here as we walk through these verses in verses 6 through 8 is Saul uh, Saul is sitting under what is believed to be this like commonplace for royal affairs to occur, this tamarisk tree. Uh, This was symbolic in the sense that when uh, if we go back to Genesis 21, Abraham plants a tree, a tamarisk tree in um, Beersheba, and then he offers prayers and uh, worship to God. 
Later on, we see in the book of Judges, this is another uh, thing that's done with Deborah, the judge. She sits underneath the tamarisk tree and she is rendering judgments based on the things that are brought before her. And so this is something that is believed to be a custom that was carried on before the temple and the throne room would have been constructed for the king. Uh, this would have been one of those places where, where they called meetings, civic uh, meetings that were held. So that's what's going on here, right? Saul believes that he is being, uh, there's a mutiny, an uprising amongst his people that are people that are seeking his life. And so he's seeking to rebuke the people in this time, right? They are desiring to betray him uh, in his eyes. Okay, so he starts off uh, in verse, in these verse, excuse me, in these verses by reminding the people uh, that they are his, his, his kin, right? He says, he, he tells them, here now, people of Benjamin, right? Uh, Saul is a Benjaminite. These are, these are his people. These are his kinfolk, right? That's what he's telling them. We're, we're blood. We're locked. We're, we're one people. And to try to remind them of, of who he is um, and who they are in, in relation to him. There's a closeness there with them. But then after that, the, this is when the shaming begins. Uh, and like I said, when we talk about anger and we, and we deal with, with family, it, it kind of goes this way, right? We start making accusations early on, right? They're, they're family, and then we go into the, the accusations that get heaped, on, heaped up. And that's what, that's what Saul does here. He questions their loyalty and their gratitude to him for all the things that he has done and all the things that he is capable of doing for them. But then as you move on to verses 9 and 10, Doeg the Edomite brings up more information. And this is when he talks about Ahimelech, this priest, offering uh, food, uh, weapons, and then uh, interceding on his behalf. So this is kind of what's going on in these first couple of verses. And the way I kind of read this, if I was to kind of summarize it in my own way, this would be what Saul is telling the people in this time. He says something, something along the lines of this, right? Haven't I given you fields and vineyards? Haven't I made you high-ranking officials in my armies? And, and after all this that I've done for you, this is the thanks that I get? Then he goes on and says, all of you are against me. None of you feel sorry for me. Uh, none of you have disclosed to me that my son has, been, has stirred up my servant against me. Right? He is heaping all these accusations, and he's telling them, me, me, me. You have done all these things against me. How dare you? Why would you ever do something like that? And that's where, that's where Saul is right now. And as I thought about that, I kind of think about us, right? When we get angry, when someone cuts us off in traffic, it's, it's always about me, right? How could you do this to me? But when we look at Saul and we ask some of these questions that we should be asking ourselves and Saul should have asked himself uh, concerning these things that he's heaping accusations at these people for, these are some of the questions that came to mind for me. Now, is it Saul's benevolence, his, his charity, his, his good works, the, the, out of the goodness of his heart, that these men have received these luscious fields and these beautiful vineyards in the promised land, right? Is, is it Paul, I mean, excuse me, is it Saul's doing that they are receiving these things? Was it, was it Saul's ingenuity that placed these men in these battalion groups, in these troops that have been so successful over the Philistines? Was, was that Saul's doing ultimately? And then finally, Saul as the king of Israel, was that, was that something that he earned? Was his character and, and who he was as an individual, was it that um, prevalent and, and his, was his reputation that well that, you know, they're like, if anybody is going to be king just because of character and nobility and virtuousness alone, it's, it's got to be Saul. Well, I think we know the answer to all of those questions, right? They're, they're all 
No, none of these things were rooted in who Saul was. Uh, yet he was using these things to accuse the people of God. But when we think about it, kind of like I mentioned just a minute ago, this is what we tend to do when we get upset, when we feel offended, right? When someone hurts our feelings, uh, these, are the, these are the type of things that we heap at others. Um, for those of you who are married, right? You, you get married, uh, and then there's this honeymoon phase, and then that slowly dwindles away, and then all the stress comes, right? All the frustration, the arguments, all these things, and we start to complain about our spouse, right? How selfish they are, how they don't do the things that I like, or they take me for granted, or they are just so inconsiderate of my feelings, of what I want, of what I like, right? That, that's, that's what we tend to do. And then that, all this internalizing, all this frustration, bitterness, rage, all of these things end up coming out in our words, or they continue to fester in our thoughts, and then we start to say things like this. Haven't I been loving to you and giving myself to you? Haven't I made your dinner or taken out the trash or rubbed your feet uh, or bought you nice things, tell you nice things, right? Haven't I done all of these things for you? And then this is the thanks I get, right? After everything I've done for you, this is how you're going to treat me. You know, you... you you don't apologize to me. You, you seem to be against me in, in every decision we make. Uh, you share things with your coworkers that you don't share with me. Do you even love me? I see some laughs. I mean, is that, is, is that, is that something that people think? Are those things going through your head? I'm not, these aren't, you know, may, maybe it's someone else. Maybe it's the person that needs to be here today that, that is thinking about those things. But that's what goes through our head, right? And, and, you know, potentially some people think, well, you know, once we have kids, you know, maybe it'll be a little different or I'll treat them different because I can mold them from the ground up. And it's like, no, you can't get it right with your spouse. Ain't going to get it right with your kids. I mean, you know, it's, it's the simple, cold, hard truth. And the reason that's the truth is because your spouse isn't the problem. The kids aren't the problem. Your job isn't the problem. Your circumstances aren't the problem. Right? So what is the problem? Right? What's the one common thing in all the things that you deal with? You. Yeah, it's you. Y'all are the problem. <laughs> We're the problem, right? We're the problem. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but that, that's, that's the truth, right? We are the problem. It, it's not everything that comes against us because yeah, although we may be victims in situations, right? And we're not, we're, not, um, we're not talking about those things, right? We're not talking about what comes against you. We're not talking about the way you're treated. We're talking about our reaction to those things, right? That's what I'm responsible for. I'm, I'm responsible for the way I react to whatever God has brought into my path. That's what I'm responsible for. And so I think if we, if we think about it this way, we can see in these verses just how plain it is to see uh, what Saul is doing is is terrible. You know, what, what he is doing is terrible. But if we're being honest with ourselves, we're not much different than him. And I'd say the biggest difference between us and him is our life wasn't recorded for in sacred scripture. Right? Think about it. Think about if someone set up cameras, like, you know, hidden cameras where you didn't know about it in your car, in your home, at your office, um, 
if they had this neural link that uh, Elon Musk is trying to do and they attach it to your brain and you can track your thoughts, right? If, if all of that was exposed for the world to see, how innocent would you think you were? Mm-mm, is that what, no? I thought I heard an uh-uh, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, there's a lot of wickedness going on in these, in these minds and in these hearts. But thank God for his grace, right? Like, thank God for his grace, because apart from that, yeah, who, who knows where we would end up? Now, these were the accusations that were heated, heaped at the people, right? This is, this is out of frustration, out of bitterness, out of anger. He is just throwing all this stuff at God's people. Well, what was his next response? Well, in verses 11 through 19, this is where we see swift justice. Uh, I hate to call it justice, but that's the term that we know. Let's call it swift injustice, because that's ultimately what it is. Now, in these verses, Saul hears from Doeg the Edomite uh, that not only his servant David, his son Jonathan, the people of Benjamin are all out to get him, right? That's what he's hearing at this time. He, everybody has just taken advantage of him. They, you know, he's, woe is me, right? That's what's going on. Not only them, but now he's hearing the priests of Nob were aiding and abetting these fugitives, these rebels, these people that are seeking to overthrow Saul's kingdom. Now, once again, he's under this tamarisk tree. He's, he's calling for a court session, right, where he is going to be, he has set himself up as judge, jury, uh, prosecutor, and executioner, right? He has set himself up in all of these uh, roles for these perceived crimes of treason against him. Now, because of this deep-rooted hatred against Saul, he calls upon Ahimelech, this, he's, the, he's the guilty party, right? He's the accused, um, and all the priests of Nob. Now, as a little side note, the priests would have been the most able-bodied men of that time. Uh, you start at the age of 20, retire by 50, so you kind of think these are, that's what these people are here. Now, as, as all these men come, and Ahimelech is brought before Saul, uh, he presents these accusations against him, right? This is what you have done. But then we get in verse 14, the priest uh, seeks to defend himself with logic, reasoning, rationale, honesty, right? He, he's trying to use common sense and, and all the things that we should use, truth, uh, in order to defend himself, right? Like, yeah, that, that's, that should be all we need uh, to defend ourselves if charges are brought against us. I should be able to just tell the truth and point out what's true, and that should... That's just squash it, right? I mean, that, that always works when we have a conversation with our, our spouse or someone who's frustrated. No, that doesn't work? Okay. All right, well, okay. But that, that's, that's what he did. And, and is, he, is, he, is he guilty? Is he, he's innocent, right? I mean, this is something, this is what we should do. This is what should work when there's frustration, right? I, this is my case. Yeah, a righteous judge is going to say, yeah, you're right. Case is dismissed. You're innocent. But what, what happens? Well, let, let me, before we go there, let me, let me give you the five reasons that uh, Ahimelech gave to Saul. Now, it's, he kind of just rattles these things off, and I'm going to break it down and kind of stagger them so we can kind of see what, what is going on. So here are the five things. <clears throat> he's, first of all, he's Saul's servant, right? He's a servant of Saul. Now, this word servant means just that, a bondservant, a slave. It's someone who's bound by duty to another, right? That, that's who he is. He, is. he is your servant, right? Why would he want to do this to you? He is, he is your servant. He is bound by God to perform these duties unto you. Secondly, he's not only a servant, but among all your servants, who's more faithful than he? Right? He's your most faithful servant, right? Not only is he your servant, he's your most, fa most faithful servant. 
And not only is he your most faithful servant, he's also your son-in-law. He married your daughter, right? I mean, he's, he's faithful, he's a servant, and he's your son-in-law, right? There's family binds, all these things are in there. Not only is he family and a faithful servant, he is actually the captain of his bodyguard. He oversees his protection, right? He's his secret service, right? He's that guy that is ensuring the safety of the king. So not only is he a faithful servant, uh, he oversees his protection, he's a son-in-law, he's all these things. Who among all your, your servants, all the servants that you see out there, who is more honorable than him? Right? These are all the things that, are, that he lists. Right? He, is, he serves you, he protects you, he honors you, he remains loyal to you, even to this day, and he is family. Right, all of those things, those are all things you want in friends and family, like that, that's what we crave. But was it enough for Saul? What do y'all think? No? No, right? It, it, it wasn't enough, right? And, and if that wasn't enough, right, Elhimelech proceeds to cap this argument off, right, this airtight argument. He proceeds to say, okay, well, even if none of this was true, right, even if all these things were just deception and he was being a hypocrite the whole time, he was trying to, he was like a, a secret, you know, what do they call him, a sleeper cell, right, in, in the midst of the, the kingdom, even if all of this was true, the only reason I served him, I inquired for God for him, the only reason I did any of that was under the guise that he was your servant, that he was all these things. That's the only reason I did that. So it's not like a, a hidden agenda. There's no malicious intent. This, this was the intent in, in my heart. And then he's innocent in all these things as well. So it's open and shut case, right? It should be. It should be an open and shut case why um, all these things should be be true, right? There's logic there, there's reason, there's rationale, there's honesty. All of this is presented. But it wasn't enough for Saul, right? What wasn't enough for him? And if we think about it, right, when you think about when you're offended by your spouse or by a friend or us as your pastors or whatever, right, usually honesty, it's not enough. Like, I need more than that, right? You've hurt my feelings and I need a little bit more. I, I, yeah, 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 you admit that you're wrong, but I, I need more than that because my feelings are hurt, right? And I, I can't just change my feelings, right? The feelings are, are where I'm at, and, and it hurts my heart. I was crying. I was embarrassed. Whatever the case may be, right, this is where I'm at. I'm an emotional wreck, and it's your fault, right? It's your fault that I feel this way. And for Saul, similar, right? He, he's telling him, hey, man, I, my hands are clean in this, and this is your servant, right? This is who he is. This is what he's proven himself to be. But for Saul, once again, like it isn't for us, it wasn't enough. Saul was hurt. He was offended. He felt attacked. He felt unjustly treated. And someone had to pay. Someone had to pay. So it wasn't just Ahimelech that had to pay. It was all of them. Everybody had to pay for this, right? I'm the king. Y'all have sinned against me. All of you got to go. Y'all got to, y'all got to go. So... He calls upon his servants. He tells them, y'all need to kill them. Y'all need to kill all these people, but they refuse. Now, as in a little side note, this is an example of godly men uh, defying a tyrant, right? A tyrannical call to do unjust things. They stood back and said, no, we will not partake in this evil act. Uh, and so we see a little righteousness in these men in this moment where they refuse to partake in these evil deeds, even though this was their, their king in their promised land and all this. They're like, no, we, we will serve you as long as the way you serve is in line with God's word. So they refused to murder these men. 
But he calls upon Doeg, the Edomite, and he takes it upon himself to do the murdering, to slaughter all these people, every man, every woman, every child, every infant, and every animal in that town. They were all murdered. Every last one, it was a, like an like a execution, right? Everybody was taken out except for one, Abiathar. Now, when I read this and I kind of think about this, what resonated with me as I was going through this week and thinking about this was Saul's destructive path of jealousy and rage and how this rage and jealousy that he is, that he is experiencing and, and reacting with um, how it affected those closest, well, these type of things affect those closest to us and, and give them the deepest wounds. Uh, and, and we experience that with, with our people, right? Whenever we're in frustrated places and frustrated times, yeah, we can save face in public, but then once we get home, a lot of times that, 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 that frustration, that rage, that bitterness gets taken out on those closest to us. They're the ones that end up experiencing the deepest wounds. Now, there's a quote that I've shared um, in, in Sunday school before. The men read it in the book that we read called The Mask and Mandate during our trade meetings. Uh, and it's a quote that I feel like bears repeating. Uh, it, it apply, it's directed towards men, but I believe it's, it, it, it's applicable to all of us uh, today. And uh, it, it's this. Let me read it to you. The name of the book is Mask and Mandate. The author is Richard Phillips. Uh, and it says this. I used to think that if a man came into my house to attack my wife, I would certainly stand up to him. But then I came to realize that the man who enters my house and assaults my wife every day is me. Through my anger, my harsh words, my complaints, and my indifference. And listen to this. As a Christian, I came to realize that the man I needed to kill in order to protect my wife is myself as a sinner. As a Christian, I came to realize that the man I needed to kill in order to protect my wife is myself as a sinner. James 3 describes it this way, if, if that didn't hit close enough. Uh, it says this, starting in verse 6. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And then listen to this. This is verses 9 and 10. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Is that true or is it true? Right? As uh, Vody says, we can't say amen, we got to say ouch. Right? We got to say ouch. That, that's it's what it is. So this scene, right, that's been painted, what, what's going on in this time, it, it's, it's <coughs> excuse me, it's brutal. Right? These were actual people. Right? This was an actual event that occurred. Everyone in this town, we don't know if it was 10,000, 40,000, 80,000, we don't know, but every person in this town, save Abiathar, was murdered, everyone. They slaughtered the entire town. And we can't overlook that, right? As we walk through scripture, we can't just skim by the things that we don't like to hear. These events actually happen, right? And so we have to recognize the, the honesty, the brutal honesty in scripture. 
that it doesn't, he doesn't, God does not uh, try to save us from evil because it happens, right? It's happening today. There was a shooting in a, in a, in a supermarket just a couple days ago. Guy just went into a store a couple hours away from me, lived full armor and just shot up 10 people and then gave himself up, right? Just, and was live streaming it. So obviously it was premeditated. It was, it was just wicked. It was a wicked thing to do. Uh, but this stuff happens, right? The, the Bible doesn't shy away from murder, rape, incest, uh, adultery, lying, cheating, stealing. It doesn't shy away from any of these things. And this is one example of that. Lots of innocent life was lost that day, right? These men weren't um, a wicked group of people that blasphemed God and hated God's people, and they were called to cleanse this area. Uh, this, these were people that were just living righteous lives, right? I mean, this was a town. There was no... Um, there was no mention in this passage of these people being wicked or anything. They, they were just killed, the women, the children, everyone. <clears throat> so we, we have to come to grips with that, that this, this kind of genocide happens, right? It, it happens all the time, and when wicked men are in control, uh, wicked things happen. Uh, and, and, that, and that's not okay, but this is what happens. Now, I say all that to say this. We would be remiss to not mention uh, the fulfillment of scripture that is happening in this bloodbath. Like, as this happened, this was in fulfillment of something that God had mentioned in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now, I want to go back there real quick because I do feel it is pertinent uh, to this conversation. And we, we see two things happening at one time. This is where we, when we talk about God's decree and his providence, and we see the evil things that man does and then the, the things that God decrees will happen. We see these things playing out at the same time, right? Saul intentionally is doing all of these things. Doeg is intentionally doing all these things. But there was a prophecy that was given that these things would happen, uh, not quite to this extent as far as the evil that was going on with it, but he prophesied that it would happen. Now, this, this was... Um, what, why this happened is this was a judgment weighed against this, uh, the house of Eli, right? The, the former priest, Eli, in chapter 2, his sons were doing wicked things. They were sleeping with women in the tabernacle. They were just vile, vile human beings. Both these men were married, uh, and so they were obviously committing adultery, and who knows what else. They were doing all kinds of things, robbing people of their offerings, just wicked, wicked people. Um, but they were told that their line would be cut off, their strength would be removed, their strength of their father's house would be cut off, and there would be no old man left in their house. Well, it goes on in verse 33 to say this. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, the only one of only excuse me, the only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. Well, he goes on from there to, to foretell of that the sign of this being true would be the death of Hophni and Phinehas, right? Not the fulfillment of it, but the, the sign of it to come. When I read through 1 Samuel 2, I assumed with them when they died, that was kind of like the death of that line. Well, what we see after their death, uh, Phinehas's uh, wife gives birth to a son they named Ichabod, right? God has departed. But before that son, he, they had another son. Uh, so they had at, at least two kids. Now, this judgment didn't come during that. Well, part of the judgment was when they, when they were killed, but then it continued on. And so this judgment was carried out upon the house of Eli during the life of Phineas, his son, Ahitub, and then his grandson, 
Ahimelech, right? These are the names that are mentioned in this passage, right? So a couple of generations have passed since this, um, this prophecy was foretold by God, this judgment that was foretold, and then its actual fulfillment, right? And so, once again, this is a, a difficult passage of scripture to kind of swallow and chew and understand why these things happen. Um, and we don't have time to cover all of that. If you want, we can talk afterwards. But for the sake of this sermon, we'll continue on. But the, the thing that I wanted to mention uh, mainly with this is the fact that, you know, when, when God's judgment is rendered, it's final, right? He doesn't change his mind, right? A lot of times we read the Old Testament and we're thinking, uh, well, when Moses interceded that that judgment went away. But no, it, it always, he just, he would be bear uh, patiently with his people, but ultimately in the wilderness, only Caleb and Joshua made it into the promised land from all those who had left Egypt. It was a, all the people that left died in the wilderness because of their unbelief and their disobedience. So God isn't about his justice and then sometime he with it, he, he fulfills it. And this was one of those instances where that happened. And so why I say all that is to remind ourselves that we never know the earthly consequences of sinful behavior that we do here on earth, right? And how it'll affect generations to come. Right now, I'm not saying generational curses are real. I, I, I don't believe in that. Um, but like I said, we, we, can't, we can't disparage the fact that as that old saying goes, uh, more is caught than taught, right? If I am living a certain way and say certain things and do certain things, that is more than likely discipling my children or those around me more so than the things that actually come out of my mouth. And I think that's what we really have to consider, right? When we think about the anger of Saul, we think about the things he's saying, the things that he's doing, these are things that tend to resonate a little longer, a little deeper than we actually realize. Now, let's move on to verses 20 through 23. Uh, any of y'all feel beat up enough yet? Is it, have you been kind of downtrodden enough yet? Is, it, is that enough? Yeah, okay. All right, so now this is in the point where we get into the good news, right? That's all the bad news I got for you, is, is all that. that that's, this, is, this is who we are, right? Um, that's that. So let's reread 20 through 23 because there's lots of good news here. There's lots of wisdom to glean from it, and I'm going to try to condense it down as, uh, as much as I can. So let me reread these verses for us. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul. I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. And here's the verse we want to focus on. <clears throat> Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safe keeping. Now, David acknowledged his role in, in all of this, right? Not that, his, not that he had guilt upon his hands, but when he was in chapter 21, Doeg the Edomite was brought to, or he came to Nob, he was detained over there, and David knew about it, but then he just, he fled, right? But he, he knew, and he felt some responsibility for the fact, well, had we either uh, detained him, executed whatever if we if we had done something with Doag he wouldn't have gone back and told Saul where we were and then all these people wouldn't have been killed right so he understands like man you know had things been different maybe maybe or had I done something different things would be different right now 
And if you want to know a little bit more about what's going on and the thoughts of David in that time, you can read Psalm 52. It's a psalm about Doeg when he was there in that town. Feel free to read that um, and, and, and go from there. But this is what's kind of going on, right, in, in, this, in David's heart when he's speaking to Abiathar. Uh, but I really, really appreciate what he says in verse 23. And, and as I read through it, it was the, the verse that really hit home for me and really, really ministered to me. And so let me reread that verse one more time. It says, stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safe keeping. Now, this is almost a verse you can slap on a bumper sticker and put on your car, right? And, and just be like, oh, this is, this is very encouraging if we think about who God is. And, and uh, I wouldn't recommend doing that, uh, per se, just because context is, is what is important. Um, but what I will say is if we understand or as we understand, David prefigures Christ. He is a type of Christ. He foreshadows uh, Christ, the one to come. Uh, we can see that in, in many different aspects in the life of David. And so when I read this passage, I think of it in this way, right? When we think about the life of Saul, um, excuse me, of David, and where he's been, where he's come, where he's at, where he finds himself in this time, we know we could say this, right? He is the anointed one right? And that's, he was anointed with oil. He's the future king, and he's being pursued by his enemies. But he tells those that are scared, those that are lost, those that are broken, to stay with me. Do not be afraid, and with me you shall be in safe keeping, right? He's, he's running for his life, literally, right? I mean, they killed everyone that he knew, killed them all. Think about if someone came to town and slaughtered everyone in Victoria, and you were the only one that made it out alive, right? They know who you are. They got your number. They know everything about you, right? You're on the run, and, and you think all is lost. But then you come to David, and he's like, hey, don't be afraid. Just stay here. With me. They, they want my life, too. But when you're with me, you'll be all right. It's going to be okay, right? With me, there's safekeeping. And so I, I really, I really like that. That really helped me as I was studying and and um, thinking about what was going on because Abiathar saw with his own two eyes the destruction and, and the depths of uh, destruction, excuse me, that Saul was willing to go to in order to show his power over the people of God, right? He slaughtered an entire town, right? Just, just because he was upset and he thought people were after him, it didn't matter what they said, it didn't matter what they did, he was willing to kill them to show that power that he has over them. But something else that, that we see that I believe is, is true of Abiathar is he also knew uh, in his heart that God was with David, right? That God was with David. And in knowing this, he could trust David to keep him safe. Why is that? Well, if God is for him, who could be against him? Right, if God, if David was God's anointed one, right? The one, the future king, he was this one kept for safekeeping himself, Right, he's on the run. It, it, it looks bleak, right? Uh, as the Psalm 23 tells us, right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You, know, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, right? That, that's, that's, what's be, that's what's being experienced, right? The, the shadow of death is looming over Abiathar. It's looming over David. But by God's grace, right? Don't be afraid. Stay with me. You will be held in safe keeping. Now that kind of walks us through our time and I want to close with this, um, with this thought. Now for me, this, this is probably the last, the first time in a, in a long time that I've made it through most of my sermon without crying. So 
Uh, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm not trying to jinx it, but I'm just trying to acknowledge that for y'all that I'm, I'm trying to work on that. Uh, but this, you know, this stuff obviously means a lot to me. So uh, I say that because I'm trying to ah, keep, it, keep it together. So listen, all right, I'm not a great father. Uh, I'm not a, a great husband. I'm not a great pastor or a great friend, uh, if, if I'm just being honest, right? That's, that's the way I'm not like in a condemning way, but just I acknowledge my failures, right? That's what I see in myself. And apart from the grace of God, right, if it wasn't for the grace of God and the, and the good that God has done through me, I would only be selfish. I would only be manipulative. I would only be self-centered and greedy and, and bitter and, and proud. That, that, that's what I want to be. The flesh desires those things, right? These are the things that in the flesh make me happy, right? I, I want all that stuff. Uh, but but thank God, right, that's not where I'm at. But that, that's that tension that, that, that I battle uh, within me. And so why do I say all that, right? Is, this isn't confession time for Laramie, you know, hi, I'm Laramie, I'm a sinner, right? That's not what this time is for, right? This is for God to speak to us, and I'm the vessel that God is using to do that. Well, why am I saying that, and what is the, the application that I, I desire for us to pull from all of this? Well, what I am saying is that I need your prayers, that's what I need from you. If, if, there, if nothing else, if you can't give me anything else, right, that, that's what I need from you. I need you to pray for me, right, for me as a husband, as a father, as a pastor. <laughs> ah, never, never fails. <laughs> but that, that's what I need, right? That's what I need from you. I need that from you because I, I can't do it on my own. I, I can't. I, I can't do it on my own. Pastor can't do it on us. Pastor David, none of us can do this on our own. Um, my wife and I have had this conversation many a times where, you know, she's frustrated with things that I do because I'm, I'm a man, I'm dumb. And so things come up, right? And she gets frustrated and she internalizes it. That's what she does. And then it comes out. And I'm like, man, where'd this come from? And so, uh, yeah, he, he, sweet, sweet, innocent Devin. She, she has an attitude sometimes. Every now and then, right? 99% of the time, she's a, she's a saint. That 1% is what, what gets her in trouble. So, um, but, but yeah, we have these conversations whenever she's frustrated with me and it's like a laundry list of things. And I'm like, okay, uh, most of that stuff is true. I agree with most of it. Um, but what I need from you, and this isn't a cop out. I, I tell her this because I honestly feel this way. I, I truly believe this. I'm like, I need you to pray for me, pray about those things for me, because apart from that, I'm not going to change. It, it, it just won't happen. Like I need you to pray for me. And, and, and like I said, because I, I fail in these different areas, and, but I need that. I need her as my helpmate to help me in that area. And so I tell her that, yeah, if you truly want to see change in me, pray for me. Pray for me, pray for me, and pray some more. That, that's what I need. That's what I need. I need her to pray for God to bring about the repentance that I need to serve him well, and all those who are under my care, and to serve them in the way that they truly deserve to be cared for. That's, that's what I need. So, with that, I say to you, the next time you get upset, you get frustrated, you're embittered, uh, you feel offended by your loved ones, what are you going to do? Are you going to act like Saul and make it all about you and just lash out in rage? Uh, or are you going to cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Because two things are, are true, right? When it comes to anger, rage, all that stuff, a cold shoulder has never changed a heart. 
never change the heart. Giving someone a cold shoulder, that never brings about a change. And secondly, rudeness is not meant to lead them to repentance. Right? Scripture tells us kindness, the kindness of God is what leads us to repentance, right? So it's never the cold shoulder. It's, it's never rudeness. It's never these things that bring about true change. So what we must do is first pray for ourselves. Pray for yourself first. Pray for your heart and then pray for theirs. Pray to Christ, stay with Christ, and you too shall be in safe keeping. Let us pray.